Hello, we are here with DeFi Ted and Crypto Cucumber, a teddy bear and a cucumber. The first podcast with a teddy bear and a cucumber in the same room. You're here with the core members of Cover and Newly Ruler. How are you doing today, guys? Good, good. Thanks for having us, Gabriel. Doing well, mate. Doing well. Thank you. Crypto Cucumber, we've heard from you before. Give us a brief intro. I mean, we, we kind of know who you are on the show, but uh, give us a little bit of background and then we'll hear from Ted. Sure. So I'm one of the, uh, I guess, founding devs of Cover and now Ruler. Um, you know, these days I, I focus mostly on the product side, but I also do some back end and front end dev. Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, DeFi Ted, what is your role within this organization? And who are you? Who is DeFi Ted? That's probably another podcast to really unpack all that um, <laughs> as to who DeFi Ted is. I mean, I, you know, generally that question comes with me lying on a chair, you know, talking to someone in a room with a notepad and a pen. But... <laughs> What I do for Cover and Ruler is, you know, I do a lot of the business development stuff. I talk with the partners. Um, I help, you know, Cucumber with some of the product design when we're talking thoughts. Um, and I just do uh, a lot of the, um, I guess, the, the comms as well. So we, uh, yeah, kind of came together with Cover and, you know, Ruler was one of the, um, you know, the projects that we were, um, you know, keen to, to, to try out when, very early on. So we heard uh, kind of Crypto Cucumber's origin story last time. I, if I remember correctly, Crypto Cucumber DM Chef Insurance on Twitter, and he's like, "Yo, I like your I like your vision. Let's work together." Um, how did you get involved in Ted? Yep. I, I actually don't know. Um, well, oh. so for so I'll tell my side as okay. you know at the very beginning. <laughs> Suddenly there was another member of our discord and it was DeFi Ted and I'm like, okay, cool. And talk to him like, yeah, he seems like a cool guy, but I actually don't know how he joined or what happened. Did you reach out to, to Alan Ted? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I kind of, uh, knew Azim who was the other party, um, yeah, from, from Yearn when I was, doing stuff there when they were first, uh, you know, formed and just, you know, what I mean doing stuff, that's just interacting the discord and doing some stuff in the forums and stuff. And, um, this split happened and I kind of wanted to come and just find out what had happened. I'd, I'd farming a lot of safe and I'd spent a bit of time in, in insurance myself, um, in my professional role previously. And, you know, I wanted to find out, you know, what was the plans kind of thing, you know, um, and, and I quickly realized that there was kind of this, there was no really, uh, insurance platform as such. It was kind of an idea and, you know, more, more towards the farming aspect of it and kind of utilizing the other NFTs. And, you know, that's where I met cucumber and pumpkin. And at the time cucumbers kind of like, I've, I've got this idea kind of for a protocol and he pitched it to me and to, to, to Teddy as well, who'd come in and, and he'd already pitched it to Alan. I was like, you know what? I think this will work. Um, that's actually a really, like a unique design. It, it, 
it's it's much different to the bonding curves that have kind of um, been designed today. And I was very keen to uh, to help them build that out. So from there, you know, it's kind of weird that you know that we just kind of um, reached out to kind of help one individual and by you know by that extension we've all come with these kind of different skills that have helped build out not one now but now two protocols it's just a um i kind of look back and through the journey and go that that's kind of it's just been a very cool experience amazing and uh i mean you guys don't know each other other than talking on the phone you've you've definitely never met i mean i'm assuming nope never met in person nope never met I love DeFi. That's kind of that's, that's the wild thing. You could just kind of spin up an identity, start doing the work, just get involved, and now you're working on like big projects together. It's is it's crazy. And I don't I don't know I don't know that there are any other industries that that operate in this way. And it's an extremely unique. No, everybody that I talk to about it in real life thinks it's crazy. Do they know you're a cucumber? <laughs> no, they don't know I'm a cucumber. <laughs> it, it was. It's actually. It's funny that you say that because uh, cucumber and I actually had a meeting with two of my. Uh, well, one of my in real life kind of friends who um, who also does kind of uh, business intelligence and um, some data and analytics and stuff. And I was having to explain to them kind of. Um, Hey, like, uh, you know, his name's Cucumber. I know that kind of sounds a little weird, but when I, we're trying to build this protocol, um, you know, we've got X amount of million dollars locked in this protocol at the moment. And like their minds are just absolutely blown by the fact that these anonymous people are, are building protocols and kind of working together and coordinating together to make sure that it all kind of, it, it works um, you know, as safely as possible. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, one of the, the big detract, the detractors from this, I mean, I, I was describing some people, yeah, you, there's all these projects, you know, founders are anonymous. Um, and, and the response is like, oh, they're anonymous because they don't want any accountability. You know, it's, if shit goes wrong, they could just kind of like disappear into the ether. What do you think about that? Well, how do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, I'll start because I know that Cucumber is going to have, I know, I, I kind of know what his probably answer is going to be on that. Um, yeah, I mean, accountability, I think, is, is kind of a two way street as well, right? So, um, you know, accountability and trust, you know, in my eyes, kind of go hand in hand. Now, you know, to say that, um, to, to be that that if you're anonymous that you are likely to uh, to to be a void of accountability i mean we live in a society now or we we work you're working in a in a in a um in an economy now on twitter where you know that reputation is kind of all you have so i i think that that's actually quite powerful in regards to um holding an accountability uh, and the longer that that even if it's a non the longer that that like that that persona has been known or that reputation's around the stronger it is so i think you can start to overlook that in some instances and for users they need to understand that as well like 
if a new accounts just popped up on Twitter and they've decided that you know they're also going to start a protocol and it seems a little bit shady, then it's probably shady, right? But it doesn't mean that just because I don't know who OX Mackie is, I'm not going to trust Sushi Swap. And I'm not going to think that he's not accountable to that. I mean, as, as token holders, you'd like to think that. And because the blockchain is you know publicly you know, there, I mean, you can see that we've never sold you know, a, a single token other than the OTC sale from our treasury um, for ruler for for a for a raise to one of our internal advisors and and, and that's kind of and that's it. So, you know, we, we're accountable to the project by by showing that we're holders and we want to continue to drive value. And I think that's how you should look at the nons anyway. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. Cucumber. Yeah, I, I mean. I think there there probably are some teams in the space that that use that anonymity uh, to to get away with stuff, but from my experience, that's not most of the teams, and it's definitely not us. Um, I mean, you just have to look at what happened with Cover and the fact that we stuck through that and we tried to make everybody whole, and you know, we continue to march ahead um, with both projects. I mean, and and for us, like Cover has had multiple issues where. I mean, not just our, our infinite mint bug, but before that, where we just we quickly realized that the tokenomics were not in favor of the founding team, you know, and can, we still continue to march ahead where, I mean, the rational thing to do would have been to scrap the token and to create a new one, you know, um, and, and we continue to work for the project. So I think that what you need to do is you just need to look at the history of the team and you can quickly tell the character of the team and, you know, what kind of builders they are and and do they want to have accountability or not? I mean, but at the same time, not all accountability is good. I mean, there's really, really nasty people in this world and crypto, maybe even especially, and, you know, the kind of threats and stuff that we got after the infinite mint bug were just unacceptable. And I mean, I'm pretty thankful that we're anonymous because of that. Uh, People, people said things and made threats that just never should have happened. And, you know, threatening us personally and our families and stuff. And so I think, you know, when you experience that, you, you understand why people um, are anonymous. And that's not to mention then all the regulatory potential concerns and stuff, given that this is such a new industry um, and we're doing things that have never been done before. I mean, I, I think people don't always appreciate the risk that the founders are taking personally. I mean, also like just not having jobs and having to you know, make sure that we, we make an income from this, but at the same time, um, make the community happy. And by making the community happy, sometimes forego compensation for a very long time. Like we have, I mean, um, even the members of our team that are collecting a salary, it's a very small one, you know? So, and then we have very long vesting schedules, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I mean that, that's what I would argue. I, I think people need to put themselves in the other side's shoes sometimes and really understand the risk that founders take in DeFi. So, I mean, there definitely are some founders that get a quick cash out and stuff and get to stay anonymous and maybe not be in it for the long run, but that's certainly not us. And I don't think that's most of the founders in this space. Yeah. You mentioned uh, regulatory issues a lot. 
in our previous conversation. Is that something that you think about, Ted? I mean, uh, I'm sure you do, but is that like one of your motivations for being anonymous? Um, it, it's one of my motivations for being, I, I guess I'm more synonymous. There's definitely a lot of people that actually know who, who I am um, here in Australia. Hmm. Um, people I don't know that, that you're DeFi Ted. Yeah, there's people who know who I'm, de- who actually know who I am in, in real life, and that are, that I'm DeFi Ted. Um, so, you know, I, I don't see the the Australian regulatory space for what we're doing as being as heavy-handed as how the SEC is in the US. So, from that point of view, I don't, I don't feel as though I have to be as anonymous as what um, Cucumber does from a regulatory point of view, but. Um, you know, the other the other side of that coin is that, you know, the reason why I'm helping to build these protocols is because I'd like to see the back of some of that regulation as well. What does that mean? Well, I th- there's definitely um, uh, like an, a huge argument. And, and I mean, you've only got to have worked in the space for a period of time in traditional finance and come to this new decentralized finance to realize how frictionless the experience really is. And that frictionless experience only comes from the fact that it's self-regulated at a protocol level. Speaking of frictionless finance, I have a friend over and I'm like, hey, look, I just paid back a $20,000 loan on Ruler in seconds. Isn't that so cool? (laughs) It is cool. That's not something you can do just like anywhere. So with that very beautiful segue, tell me about Ruler and kind of what the project is all about, like, you know, why you started it and what kind of niche you're trying to build. Sure. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one. Basically, uh, ever since I got into DeFi last summer, I've been kind of marveled at what I thought was a pretty backwards way of doing loans in DeFi. And now, now looking back, I think I, I, I recognize that the way it was done that way, just because of probably some historical context in crypto in general. Um, but just the fact that in order to do a loan, you always, or in order to take out a loan, you always have to expose yourself to liquidation risk. And, you know, in, in, in the traditional finance, uh, that's that's not normally how it goes. Yeah, you do post collateral in a lot of loan scenarios, like typically a car or a house. But you know that as long as you make your payments, you will be able to keep your collateral. Um, and it's just as simple as that. And in DeFi and in crypto, you're you're exposed to this liquidation risk. And you know, probably historically, there's a number of reasons why it happened that way. One of which is just that. The markets um, were very, very volatile and very, very illiquid for a very long time. And when protocols like Compound were getting started, that was certainly the norm. Um, But, you know, things things are changing, hopefully. And we have tier one collaterals like Bitcoin and even ETH now that they're still volatile, but not like they used to be. Um, and, And they're also they're also very liquid and they have not only are they liquid, but they have starting to have deep options and derivative markets as well. And because of that, 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 a lot, that gives you a lot of options now to hedge different types of risk. And so with Ruler, what we've done is we've said, well, 
we're going to get rid of liquidations, but it's not like that risk goes away. The price of the collateral can still go down. So somebody has to be subject to that risk. But what we're going to do is we're going to put that risk on the shoulders of the lenders. And then we're going to, we're going to basically tell the lenders, look, you now have this risk, but there are a lot of options for you out there in terms of how you want to manage that risk. You can go to Deribit, you can hedge it, you could go to Cover, and you can hedge it with your, our new credit default swap product. And, and so I think, you know, the, the times are changing. And so now that we can, we can do more interesting and sophisticated things in DeFi because of the growth and other areas of crypto financial markets. Um, and obviously, this is good for a borrower because, you know, there, there are, there's a potential for black swan events out there and for you to get liquidated and Ruler completely gets rid of that. And then, of course, there's some positive side effects as well, such as um, our, our loans are all fixed rate as opposed to floating rate and, deter and or determined by a bonding curve. And um, also our rates are completely market driven. So they're based on supply and demand, also not based on, you know, some utilization rate on a curve. So that's, that's basically the idea. I, um, you said a lot of things there. Ruler is a pretty complicated protocol in terms of how it works um, on the back end, that's my feeling. But I think that once you start to use it, you get a lot better. But so a couple of things there that I wanted to ask. Sure. So you put, first of all, is this your idea? Like this is your. Like, so this is, this is an idea that uh, Pumpkin and I have been talking about privately since we basically got started on cover. Mm -hmm. And we kind of were just, you know, we were at the beginning, we were too busy with cover to do anything about it. And then we kind of just expected someone else to do something similar and then months passed and nobody else did. And we had, we had some time because we were waiting for the cover V2 audit to come back. And so we talked to Alan about it. And then three of us decided that we wanted to, you know, start ruler at the same time. And so then we talked to all, all the other core team members like Ted and Teddy and, you know, and here we are. Um, so, yeah. So yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, but I, I would say it was it was more of an idea between uh, Pumpkin and, and myself. So, Crypto Pumpkin, that is. So basically, it's a protocol salad. Sorry, that's a bad, <laughs> joke. bad <laughs> joke, bad joke, bad joke. Um, so you said I, you I don't put pumpkin in a salad, but okay. Anyway, uh, roasted pumpkin in a salad's good, mate. <laughs> Maybe pumpkin seeds. <laughs> It's a decentralized salad. Okay. Okay, um, there we go. Um, what was I going to say here? Okay, you said uh, you, you put the risk of liquidation on the lender. What does that mean? Because from my perspective, I still have risk of liquidation in the sense if I don't come back on time, as a borrower, I get liquidated. You take the collateral, right? So what, what, I don't understand what you're trying to say there. Yeah, so so that's that's a risk that's completely controllable by you, right? So so the idea is that if you borrow on other platforms, if the collateral declines in value sufficiently, then you could be liquidated in an auction by the platform. In Ruler, the only way you lose your collateral is if you do not make your payment, which is completely under your control. And so right. the reason I said that the risk is on the lender is because there's scenarios in which it's actually not rational for you to make your repayment. So um, I'll give you an example. If you have a wrapped BTC as a collateral and you have a mint ratio on our platform of say 25,000, what that means is 
you are expected to repay 25,000 DAI per Bitcoin that you deposit as collateral. So if the price of Bitcoin at expiration is less than 25,000, it's actually not rational for you to pay back your loan, right? Because you're expected to pay back 25,000, but the price of the Bitcoin you will receive back when you make that payment is less than 25,000. So that's what I say the risk is on the lenders now. If the collateral drops sufficiently, then they might have to take collateral that's worth less than the expected repayment. Now, there's debate, you know, whether or not that should be called, um, you know, a liquidation or anything. I don't think it should be. I think it should simply just mean that, you know, the, the borrower doesn't make their repayment and they forfeit their collateral. They don't get liquidated. They just forfeit it. It's a voluntary yeah. choice. Ted, you, you want to say something? Oh, I was just going to say that. Yeah, it, I just think it's in the it's in the behavior who the accountability is on to to manage that risk and you know and, and what the and, and you know what the action is and the action is at the end of the day the the borrower is choosing to forfeit that collateral to the to the lender. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that the same liquidation makes it a bit confusing, but. But yeah, yeah, it's it's like you're just not if you're lending out, you just may not get that die back, and you may have to hold on to this bag that you that has declined in value, and you may not necessarily want. Right, going into it, you have the ability to choose. Okay, I'm willing to hold this Bitcoin at this price, so I don't really care. But if you're lending on some random token, like uh, I don't know, like a, I don't know, I don't even want to like. Yeah, it's a smaller could, coin. Yeah, yeah, a smaller like, coin. As another coin, you're like, well, I could lend on this and get a high yield, but uh, like if I get like if it doesn't get paid back, I will have to hold on to it. So that's kind of like another thing that you have to think about. So yeah, a lender should be of the mindset that they are getting a decent return on their die for lending against the asset, but it should be you know they should also have the mindset that it's an asset that they'd be willing to buy at the price. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it because you're you're saying I will buy this particular asset at this given price, and it may not work out that way, but you have to be willing to take that. I got you. Um, exactly. So, one of the interesting things about the the protocol is that you're able to list tokens that may not have tons of liquidity because, as I understand it. If you're borrowing or lending on cream and there is liquidation, you need to make sure that there's sufficient liquidity in order to execute on the liquidation. If you can't sell the underlying collateral, then it's, right, it's pretty much worthless. But here, since the it doesn't work the same way and you just pass on the collateral to the lender, then you're able to lend, to, you're able to provide loans for tokens that may not be able to be easily bought and sold at any given time. So is that is that right in the ballpark? Yeah, that's in the ballpark. I, I would add though with cream, it's not quite that simple because what happens is there's uh, an auction. So there doesn't actually need to be liquidity anywhere in mm. order for someone to necessarily want to buy the, the defaulted um, collateral. However, in practice, if there isn't an AMM where somebody can immediately dump what they're, what they're buying in liquidation, that means they're going to want a larger um, discount when they do liquidate somebody. So in practice, illiquid tokens on cream are much riskier for somebody to liquidate. And so they do present a lot more 
um, protocol risk for cream. And yes, in ruler, that risk is completely gone because there is no auction. We don't, we don't rely on somebody being willing to put in a bid for the collateral. The collateral just automatically transfers, like you said, to the lenders. And then they accept the consequences of that. And it's up to them to figure out what they want to do with that collateral afterwards. One thing I was thinking about, someone brought up the point that, you know, is it possible to just at the end of the period become a lender and you're kind of betting that someone won't pay their collateral, they forget or whatever happens? Is that like hundred percent? That's encouraged behavior. To be honest, you know, we want as much demand on both sides, both the lending and the borrowing. And I think we're going to have some, you know, in a couple of days here, we're going to start to get in some data as to how much that happens. Is there? This is kind of like specific knowledge to the protocol that maybe you don't know, but like, are there things that you should look out for? You know, you come to the protocol, to the ruler protocol page, and you look at the, the APY, the borrow lend APY. You see something like, let's say 500%, right? Now, what, what should that tell you about that particular pool? I mean, that there's high demand, like how can, how can a user, you know, utilize that information? Well, so, so the APYs are annualized. So when you're getting very close to an expiration like we are now, that could be a little bit misleading because what you really need to do is you need to consider your profit after paying all of your expenses like transaction costs, like gas in particular, right? So right now, while the APYs are very high, since the time to expiration is so small or so, so short, um, there might not be that much interest that you're actually earning. And so you need to make sure that you will actually compensate yourself for the gas if you take on that loan. Um, and I think what we have now is the price of the RC tokens, which is effectively the price of our loans, they're, they're jumping around a lot as people exit their positions close to expiration. And I, I think probably part of what's going on is that you know this is the first month of the protocol, right? And some people want to just completely close their position and not have to worry about the redemption process after expiration since it's never happened before. Like that's an additional risk that they don't want to take on. And so I think that's probably why things aren't tra trading closer to par right now. I mean, I think the RC tokens are trading at like 99 cents, whereas, you know, that's a really high implied interest rate because there's only like one day left. Right. So you get to earn one percent in a day um, or more. And I think, you know, assuming everything goes well after expiration, I think in future months, this kind of behavior towards the end won't happen anymore. Um, but the correct calculation is to look at how much interest you will earn and compare that to your transaction costs. Yeah. Um, pretty interesting. I mean, there's definitely some sort of arbitrage opportunity that also exists in cover because cover has kind of a similar mechanism there that you can arbitrage yeah absolutely um, if no claim tokens get close to or, or not at a dollar right before expiration then you can buy them at less than a dollar and expect to redeem them for a dollar after expiration 100 percent. one of the interesting things that you guys do that i don't see anywhere else is this these kind of like dated tokens right that at a specific date this is going to be worth a specific amount and you create, you know, bespoke pools for, you know, basically every month. Um, it's kind of an interesting feature that 
I, like I said, I, I haven't seen anyone else kind of make their protocol, design the protocol in this way. Is there, I mean, is there any reason for that? I mean, what do you, what is inspiration for that? Yeah, there, there are, so there's, there's some good reasons for that. I think I also know why other people don't do it for the most part, but I think in the long run, this is going to end up being way more common. And so the reason you want to do it is whenever you want to use market prices, which is what we do, if you have perpetual products or very long expirations that can distort the prices substantially. So with the case of ruler, for example, if we were to make our lending pool perpetual, then that would mean that, um, you know, there would be this, this premium that would have to be paid to the lender to take on that risk of the collateral dropping below whatever the mint ratio is. And you can think of that as almost like a put option premium. Well, if you had a really long expiration, the time value component of that would be extremely high. And so it would increase the cost of the loan substantially. Whereas when you make the expiration short, like we do, that component goes close to zero. So if you were to look at put option pricing at 50% of the current market price on like Garabit on Bitcoin and Ethereum, you would see that the premiums are very small. But if you look at a year out expiration, for example, the premiums are very high. And so we, we, wanted, to, we wanted to avoid that, okay? Um, also, when you're dealing with loans um, with fixed payments, like we, like we are, because you know, the plan for Ruler is not just to stop with this product, but to go into amortizing loans and uh, loans that you pay off over multiple payments, you, you do need an expiration unless you're going to be interest only. And you know, it, building out interest only loans is definitely something we've talked about, but the core product for Ruler is going to be loans that pay themselves off, right? That you, you pay, make a few payments and then the loan is gone. And so naturally with a loan like that, you need to have expirations. Um, I think the reason that people have not been doing it in DeFi like this is one, because of gas, right? Whenever you have expirations, you have to roll things over. You have to create a new pool and that costs, that costs gas. And I think over time that would become less of an issue, especially as things move to like layer two, for example. And then the other thing is simply out of convenience for the user because, you know, DeFi users tend to be pretty lazy, right? So they like a perpetual product that they can just dump some funds into and forget about it. And that is definitely a concern for us. Um, I think in the long run, the way this gets solved is mostly just because the space becomes more sophisticated. Uh, we build like auto rollover tools, but also just a lot more of the capital becomes concentrated in the hands of uh, vaults and or managed funds who will do the rollover for their own users, right? And then they kind of obfuscate those little details from the end user. And I, and I think that's the future, um, you know, like when, when true retail were, if they were ever to get into DeFi, I think they get in through aggregators and products like that. I don't think they go and interact with the protocols directly in most cases. Mm, that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I guess- Ted, do you have any thoughts on that? I think, um, I think he, he, he's, oh, okay. Ted, you there? Sorry, I am back. Yes, yeah, sorry. I did have to um, just put myself on mute there um, while you were talking. Uh, no, no, you've explained that well. Oh, Ted, 
Ted, Ted, Ted, what are we going to do with you? You know, the, that's the question. Um, I, I was just, I was just asking about the, the rollover. And I think that, yeah, definitely it's painful for a user, you know, myself to be able to go through that process, unstaking, et cetera, et cetera. It would be really nice to have that auto rollover that you mentioned. Um, but it's interesting that you noted that you think that most people will interact through aggregators. I mean, that's a very complex tool that doesn't really exist. I mean, there are some protocols that will automate your leverage. We're seeing AL, uh, Alchemix um, be quite popular these days. And they, I mean, they, they do what exactly what you described, which is the auto payback. Is that, it, do you see them as a vault or like a yield aggregation strategy or is it something else? No, I don't. I see them as a standalone product. What I was referring to more is you will have like, I, I think the rollovers are mostly the concern for the LPs, for the liquidity providers. I think the borrower, it's not as big of a challenge. I, I think the borrower that they, in many cases, will specifically want our product. They will want our loan. And so they will be more willing to manage it themselves. It's more the investor that has funds. He wants to allocate to uh, different investments and doesn't want to have to manage the rollover of the pool every month to keep their return going from ruler. And so for people like that, I expect there to be, you know, aggregators slash funds that develop where you invest your, your stable coins with them. And then they maybe invest your stable coins in multiple products, including ruler and then they handle all of the details of investing in those products. So, um, Ted, I, I think you're, you're speaking to one at the moment about potentially setting up a, a ruler fund. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that is abs- yeah, that's absolutely correct. So, um, the the idea is to be able to buy the RC tokens and kind of set that on the path to kind of automate that that kind of the, the, the strategy to kind of set it at a yield purchase so that they can actually say, hey, I want to have a set price where I'm going to get a set return and continually just be able to buy those tokens on behalf of the users and then make that redemption and then restart that process. So, so Gabriel, imagine a situation where there's a, a pool of stable coins sitting there and you run a bot where you wait for the price of the RC token to dip below a certain price. And then whenever it does, you, you, you have a script or a bot that buys it in the open market. Mm. And so like a managed process like that. And, you know, most people aren't capable of setting up that kind of a, a system for themselves, but there will be teams and, you know, other projects that do it for you. And that's what I expect to see more and more of that, like these managed funds that have, that are more sophisticated than the current like urine auto vault strategies where you deposit it and then it just does a predetermined thing for you through a smart contract, right? Or through a call in a smart contract where there will actually start to be infrastructure outside of smart contracts to manage your investments like bots and stuff, mm-hmm. more similar to investment funds slash hedge funds and you know traditional finance where they're more actively managed. You know, that's what I expect to see more of. And that, that works really well with, um, products like Ruler that need a little bit more active management because of the rollover process. Mm, I see. I see. Um, 
one thing I was thinking about is that when you become an LP in ruler, right? When you're when you have a die and an RC token, it's actually I, I started thinking of the RC tokens themselves as a stable coin. It's pretty interesting. I don't know what you think of this idea, but because I was talking to someone about ruler and I was saying, well, the RC token is representative of debt. And that's exactly what DAI is, right? It's just, it's exactly the same thing. Like, so yep. it's, I don't know, that kind of just like blew my mind a little bit. I don't know why it was like, oh, these are just like stable coin pools. Like, yeah, they, they I, absolutely are. They absolutely are. Go ahead, Ted. Oh, that's what I say, which is why they work so well in the uh, in in the curve pools, in the three pools that we've got up for um, the newer collaterals. So, because the idea of the token is that it will you know gravitate towards a dollar towards expiry, well, as expiry gets closer, because the um, the idea is that you know it's going to be presumed to be worth a dollar after expiry. Then, yeah, it can it, it absolutely. Um, can act like a stable coin from that point of view. And as the liquidity gets deeper and, um, you know, users understand how to use the protocol as being a lender, uh, I think we'll start to see those, um, those rates get a lot cheaper as well. So you're telling me rulers now go stable project. Got it. Okay. Let me write that down. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you need to give it a, a hot buzzword, fine. <laughs> it's good for marketing. It's good for marketing. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so just so you know, we're running with the tag that that um, the 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 ruler swaps that's built on the the curve three pools is going to be called um, oh, protractor. Protractor. What is yes. That? Which which is a curved ruler. His idea, not mine. So nice. I wanted to get that out there while we're on a podcast, just so it. we can get that out there. Protractor. What's the any any reason that there is this the ruler branding? Is it where would you come up with the name? So ruler ruler was a crypto pumpkin's name, and basically it's the idea that if you follow the rules. You don't get liquidated or you get your collateral back, you know. Which sounds very crypto pumpkin if you've spoken to crypto pumpkin. <laughs> yes. But it also it's the two it's a two syllable word um, that is easy to brand around. So we're very happy with it. Fantastic. Um, now I want to this is kind of a a hard topic, maybe not a hard topic. Maybe I'm being too dramatic, but there was a lot of issue when Ruler launched. You know, Andre made a tweet. He said he was very upset. Um, and I think a lot of people misunderstood, including myself, until DeFi Ted kind of explained to me what was going on, like why he said that. Maybe you can tell me like what, what was going on in that moment, in that situation, you know, with, uh, with urine, like breaking off from cover, et cetera, et cetera. Ooh, loaded question, Ted. Do you want to handle it? Do you want me to get into it? And oh, I was just um, going to say, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so was that an issue? 
Uh, look, I think uh, look from, from a very high level, without um, without you know all jokes aside, the we, we just didn't see eye to eye on the on the resolution with us and Yearn. Um, we did try our best to to try and achieve what they'd asked um, us to achieve. I think the timeline as well, maybe of where we were getting um, when our V two was going to be back from audit, when that was going to be back. And that was going to be up and running. Um, we were prepared to push some of the uh, the additional code around our you know, cover reserve money market and um, and whitelist their protocol specifically, just to be able to have that up with that with with minimal audit. Um, look, the it, in a decentralized nature, sometimes that's very it's not conducive for um, having everyone kind of row the same way. Because you can just turn up and kind of do what you'd like, right? So, you know, we, we, we found it very hard at some points to kind of get an understanding about where we sat. Um, and that's no fault of anyone's, but, you know, the way that we're working, we're all kind of working it out. So it didn't work out with you. Um, in regards to the, the, the Andre thing, that was, you know, it, it was a tweet in frustration uh, from himself in regards to a very, in, in regards to a, a personal matter, with one of uh, uh, with, with with one of our devs in particular, and um, yeah, I, I think that's probably the most I'll, I'll really go into on that. Cucumber. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll just add that um, to onto what Ted's saying with the whole urine situation. I I think it became increasingly difficult just for us to coordinate our visions for how you know, cover would work with Yearn. And one of the hard parts was that Yearn, it, it was unclear who was actually making the decisions at Yearn, you know, and who we needed to talk to to make sure we were on the same page. And so I think just like communication broke down at the end of the day, you know, and it's unfortunate, but it just, it, it is the way it is. When, when you do well, like the urine mergers, for example, they're not real mergers, right? No ownership is changing hands or anything like that. There was no formal structure put in place to, to manage that merger. And, and I think ultimately, you know, th that we paid the price for that, that just it broke down because there wasn't any way to sustain it. And I'm not really aware that that structure exists with any of the other urine ecosystem projects either. So um, I think like going forward, if there is to be a merger in crypto, it needs to be a lot more formal. It needs to be a lot more professional. Unfortunately, in some ways, it's going to need to be more similar to the way a merger is in, in you know, the traditional world. There's a, there's a reason, uh, you know, we, we have to play this really, you know, we have to walk this tight line here in crypto where we want to get rid of regulations and some of the rules and structure and bureaucracy of the rest of the world, but at the same time, we do need organization. If you're not organized, you can't get things done, right? And I, I think that from what I've seen, at least the cover and ruler teams, we're pretty organized. You know, we operate like a, a true team and some of the other projects are much more of just a collection of individuals that happen to work together on the same project, but they're not actually a team. And so I think there needs to be more more organization in the future in order to make partnerships like that happen. So. Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, there's also within crypto, there's so many different types of teams. There are just groups of people that get together to work on a project. 
but there are also people that come as a team to work on a project and these organizations are different and 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 it's not obvious maybe if if you're looking from the outside what what are the differences in these different projects but if you are active and you participate you know you can see that there's a whole range you know for example like index coop it's a project that i worked on for a while they're super organized you know they have probably like three meetings a week slideshows you know very clear every what everyone's working on very specific goals very specific you know data and you know there are just tons of projects out there that do nothing like that as far as i know you know mm-hmm. but you could just see there's a whole spectrum of and and we have this idea of a dao and you know but it's it's so complicated so sophisticated like it's changing all the time and and there's no two DAOs are alike and this whole concept is is just in development yep agreed mm-hmm. any thoughts on that ted so how does the how does the cover actually work with the ruler? Because sure, yeah. He's, he's so to, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So and I and I you know I, I frequently mention V two with cover, but I'm going to do that again here shortly. Basically, what we're what we're offering with cover is the ability for lenders to protect themselves against the the value of their RC token that they're acquiring when they lend going below $1 at expiration. And the reason that that would happen is if the collateral goes below the mint ratio. So, you know how we're talking about now the risk of the collateral dropping in value is on, on the lender's shoulders. Well, that's the idea is that cover can insure against that risk, cover against that risk um, using what is often called a credit default swap. And so that's what we're creating with cover to kind of merge the two projects together and align their interests. Now, one of the issues that we have with V1 with cover is that you can only cover a single risk with your, uh, with your capital at a time. And that's problematic because in credit default swaps and normal finance, you typically have a lot of leverage that you will cover multiple default risks with $1 of capital. And with cover V2, we're actually going to be able to do that. And so we had, we had some experimental CDS pools when we first launched Ruler on cover. And what we found was it required a lot of incentivization in the terms of Ruler tokens in order to get the sufficient liquidity in those cover pools. And so we've kind of taken a step back and we're not incentivizing those pools as much. And we're waiting more for cover V2 to launch them out in earnest. But the idea will be then you can deposit a single die and you can cover the collateral um, declining in value risk by you know, selling these claim tokens as an underwriter for multiple collateral types at once. And so you can collect that premium on multiple collaterals. So you can think of it as basically leveraged put writing. That's what we're going to be offering on, on, um, on cover. 
And it's going to be pretty unique, to be honest, because right now you can do options on major collateral types in DeFi already and definitely in Deribit, right? Like a BTC and Ether. But tokens like Cover, for example, and Ruler and Pickle and Sushi, Badger, et cetera, et cetera, they don't have options markets at, at all. And so uh, essentially, these are going to be options markets um, that we will have on Cover starting with v2 and not only that they will be leveraged so the the underwriters of these options should be able to earn a pretty decent return because they can get leverage on their capital by writing multiple premiums at once so that's the idea and they're pretty far like they're the strike price is pretty low Yeah, because it'll be whatever the mint ratio is. So for example, we just launched um, X Sushi as a collateral, right? And currently the market price of X Sushi is $18 and the mint ratio is $8. So there would only ever be a payout if the price of X Sushi went below $8 before expiration. So within a month. So that, that risk is fairly remote, but it's still there. And so then the idea is the underwriter of that can collect that premium and then premiums on multiple other collaterals at the same time. You mentioned Cover V2. What is Cover V2? What is the difference between Cover V1? So Cover V2, the main thing that it does is it just allows the pools to be far more flexible in terms of what risks are covered and how much collateral is deposited. So whereas before there was, you, you, you deposit a die and you get back a claim and a no claim token in Cover V2, we will have pools where you can deposit a die and you can get back a no claim token, but then you get back multiple claim tokens. And so those, those multiple claim tokens each represent a risk that's being covered. And so now with one die, you can underwrite multiple risks. And so that's, that's the biggest change with Cover V2. And I think that that will help solve our capital efficiency issue, which was always our biggest concern from the start with cover. Yeah, I mean, what one thing that uh, excited me about cover is this idea that you could have like kind of a streaming uh, insurance rather than paying upfront. So you could take mm-hmm. some out of like out of your yield. You can you know reduce your yield and and you have um, you know you're protected. So is that something you guys are going to do? Yeah. So that that's going to be what we call the the cover money market. And so essentially, you will deposit your claim tokens into the money market, and then people can you know quote borrow them. It's not really borrowing them because you don't get to re- withdraw them from the platform, but you, while you're making those streamed payments to the depositor, you have the rights of the claim token. So if there's a claim, then you'll be able to get the payout. And then in the meantime, you're, you're streaming this payment to the depositor and that's how they're getting compensated. So it's, it'll be similar to like a compound style model except for uh, claim tokens. And so we, we hope to offer that in conjunction with our typical market-based pricing and we're actually very excited about UniV3 with Cover. I think it solves a lot of our challenges that we've had to date with the more traditional AMMs, like a UniV2 style AMM. Um, so if you like, we can get into some of those details on why we're so excited about UniV3. Oh, your music to my ears, Cucumber, please. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. That's, well, um, hmm. Ted, you want to, you want to take that one or. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I was uh, immediately bullish the moment that, uh, well, I mean, so I've got maybe a couple of reasons to be super bullish on V3. I also um, happen to be a part owner in the Pleaser Dow as well. Oh, um, uh, high roller over here, DeFi Ted. That that purchased the 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 XYY equals K by um, People Pleaser, but uh, and and to be honest, the the release and the and and what I'm about to tell you is kind of. Yeah, you know, a big reason why I got behind that in the first place and why I wanted to own it and why I wanted to be part of the Dow because I was never going to be able to afford half a million dollars on my own. Um, the Okay, so so the two things that are, I guess, really exciting for us is the fact that you can basically set a resting limit order, um, you know, in a liquidity pool. So the ability to set a, you know, a range that you want to trade in is really powerful for our protocol as a market driven rate you know for both ruler and cover um where the the market's trying to set the rate right now we've got the problem with uh well we've got two things we're trying to generate enough liquidity and then using that liquidity to kind of be able to let large purchases happen because the slippage can really you know can can you know make some of those premiums quite expensive right now uh on cover v1 uh and you know even with you know ruler um in, in our v1 it if you wanted to borrow or lend over, say, a hundred thousand or or more, it, it it'll affect the rate that's actually showing um, on your return because of the slippage in the pool. And what this allows is just liquidity providers to come along and say, "Hey, I, I only want to set the range here, so I'm happy to be a lend. I'm happy for it to trade, you know, in you know, let's say high, let's say it's the 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 curve." Um, protection and i'm happy for it to trade as soon as it gets to um you know five percent and i'm happy to take five percent after that and i'll and i'll and i'll earn five percent so it then goes into the to, to to the to the no claim token and holds that remaining until expiry so it allows the the lp to basically say well it can freely trade until a point where i want to stop the trading and keep the return and that is really powerful and then the ability to remove the exponential kind of the curve on the bot on the on the um, on the on the way the MMM curve works, and to be able to actually concentrate that liquidity and add that capital efficiency to it as well is going to really reduce our slippage. So they get to set their price point and reduce slippage for people coming in and out of the pool. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, Hayden, if you're uh, if you're listening, you know, can it be before May? Well, let me get him on the phone. No, didn't they say? <laughs> didn't they say it was going to be next month? I don't know. Uh, May, I think the first start of May, and then middle of May for an optimism release, um, which we're also reached out to um, to 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 have a uh, have a chat to optimism. Mm, okay okay we can get into that a bit but i want to talk a little bit more about the uni so basically what uni v3 will allow you to do will set your price for your tokens to be traded in between a certain in between a certain i'm getting confused you 
are allowed when you deposit your uni v3 lp share tokens you can set a price for which these can be traded on so if you deposit die for example you can say i'm willing to sell die between 99 cents and dollar and one cent right and what happens and i'm not i i need to be more educated on this because it's hard for me to kind of fathom this but so when it passes out of that range then what happens basically you're going to have to pay it uh, as a trader, you're going to pass to pay a higher fee or there, and there'll be less liquidity. I mean, this is what I'm guessing. Is that, is that kind of correct? Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me go through it real fast. So if, if the price goes below your range of 99 cents, then your particular liquidity goes hundred percent into the cheaper token. So in the case, if you think about cover, let's call this a no claim token and die pair, right? So you would hundred percent of your liquidity would go into no claim. If the price goes above a dollar and one cent, then 100% of your liquidity would go into die. Now, what happens to people that still want to trade outside that range? Well, if no one else has added liquidity, then they can't actually trade. There needs to be liquidity. Okay. Um, now, the the thinking is though that there will be a huge incentive now for your people to deposit liquidity, even if it's just a very small amount in order to earn trading fees. Because if you're the only one who's deposit liquidity in a range, then all trading that goes on in that range pays you only in fees, right? But since it's only your liquidity, then the slippage is completely dependent on how much liquidity that you add over that range, right? Um, so, but what we like this a lot for our projects because our projects typically train, you know, our, our no claim tokens or even our claim tokens, they trade in a very tight range most of the time, unless like with cover, there's a claim. But if there is a claim, then the price will quickly go to an extreme price. And we don't really care if along that journey, there's not that much liquidity. That's not really a big deal. If there's extreme slippage to go from the five cent claim token to the dollar claim token, that's okay, as long as the price just settles at a dollar. So that's kind of our thinking. So this will... So this will allow, basically allow people to set the price for particular tokens, right? Instead, Yeah, of having, so you can... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, instead of the AMM determining what the price of the token is, the liquidity providers can have much more say because so I, I would still argue the market sets the price but now as a liquidity provider i am not forced to take that price when i add my liquidity right i can say well the price is currently 99 cents i don't think that's a reasonable price i think it should trade between a dollar 50 and two dollars so i'm going to add all of my liquidity there because i think that's a reasonable reasonable price right and i don't want to suffer impermanent loss due to it moving you know it, due to the price being outside of my range. And so I want to put my liquidity in at that range. Hmm. So, so let's say I wanted to buy the dip. So Bitcoin, I want to buy Bitcoin at 40,000. So mm -hmm. there are a way that I could use the, the V3 in order to, you know, just make that happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you can add... You can add what they call single-sided, I forget their specific term, but I, I call it single-sided range liquidity. And so what you do is you'd say, okay, 
I want to add die between the price of, and you give it a really tight range, 40,000 and 40,100, right? And I want to add a thousand die within that range. And it, as soon as the price gets to 40,100, it, it will start to use my thousand die to linearly buy Bitcoin over the range of 40,000 to 40,100. So if the price then drops all the way to 40,000, I'm now taking my thousand die and completely bought Bitcoin with it, right? And so it's effectively a limit order. And then what you can do is once the price goes down to 40,000, you've completely filled your order. You're now 100% Bitcoin. You can withdraw that liquidity and you've effectively just limit purchased Bitcoin between 40,000 and 40,100. So yeah, if you have a price target for some asset, you can add that single-sided liquidity over that range and it will approximate a limit order. But when, when Bitcoin goes, so you, you move completely into Bitcoin, right? But let's say it yep. moved up, you know, 45,000. Have you sold or is there a way to keep that? So the way to keep it is to withdraw your liquidity once you've filled your order. If you just leave it in the AMM and the price goes back up, it will sell it back for Bitcoin over that range. Mm, I see. I see. Yeah. And effectively, all you will have done is earn trading fees at that point. Makes sense. Makes sense. I guess, though, that it will it's easier to create a like an automatic protocol that withdraws liquidity at a certain price than actually making a trade at a certain price. Is that correct? Or I'm just completely off. Um, I'd say they're similar, honestly, they're both contract calls, but, and both of them really require you to have some sort of script running outside of the blockchain. Like none of that can be done with a smart contract alone. That requires a combination of some sort of bot, you know, that's constantly pulling for prices and a smart contract to do the execution for you. So they're pretty similar to be honest. Like any arbitrage bot now that's just making orders could then be reconfigured to, you know, make orders and remove liquidity, et cetera. And you're going to see a lot of that, of course. But I, I'd say they're about the same level of complexity. Fair, fair. Okay. Um, does this, one thing that people have talked a lot about is this idea of arbitrage that it creates a lot of congestion on the network. It's obviously just a, natural thing as you think grow there's more opportunities for people to make money i mean i'm assuming that this is gonna just have exponentially more like usage because now we're at like there's different price points involved as well yeah it could i mean it, it definitely could increase the transaction volume that goes through uni although you know still people aren't going to do things that don't make sense after paying gas so um look They've definitely anticipated that, which is why they're moving to optimism so quickly. So we just have to hope that most of the volume ends up on optimism and uh, not on layer one. And so it doesn't increase gas prices. I think what we need, and, and Ted can comment more probably on the timeline for this, is we just need the, the trip back from optimism to layer one to be faster. Right, Ted? Yeah. So, I mean, at the moment, I think it's still around seven days, but I know that the maker team have uh, managed to work on a, a bridge um, to, with, uh, with optimism that will significantly reduce the, the, the time that it takes. 
I can't remember the exact time that they said that that would um, be down to. I don't know if you've seen or looked into that at all, um, Gabriel, but I know it's built. I know, well, I know they're building it and, um, and it's to be released soon. So um, I, I think I'm just going to have to wait and find out uh, more about that once they release uh, more on it. I, I really don't know. Um, are you guys, yeah. So what are your guys' thought processes when it comes to a layer two or, I mean, obviously your guys are thinking about it, but are there any plans or have you, you know, think you have a direction? Uh, well, look, at the moment we're exploring, uh, you know, the chains are, you know, in existence today that are getting some usage. So there's Matic, um, we've re- you know, we're, we're looking to optimism. Um, that, you know, they haven't got their mainnet live at the moment. So there's, there's not too much you can just um, go and play with. Um, we're also, uh, you know, we've got, uh, we've already launched cover on Phantom. Um, and, you know, I think we're pretty chain agnostic. Uh, like we're, we're not um, complete. We're not maximalist to any chain. We'll launch wherever the you know the liquidity needs us. I think we can. The the, the good thing is is that the protocol that we offer is that uh, I think this goes for most protocols as well. Is that you don't have to offer everything to every chain that you deploy as well. Um, you can offer a product suite that is specific to you know that ecosystem. So I, I see no reason why we couldn't be on the majority of them. Yeah, that's interesting that you don't need to, because really the... Yeah, like for example, on Binance Smart Chain, we could launch um, tokens as collateral and ruler that and coverage that's native to Binance Smart Chain, like, you know, Venus and Pancake, BNB, projects like that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's pretty, pretty interesting, pretty interesting. Um, okay, cool. Um, so do you have... Any other projects that you guys are uh, into these days, liking, you know, maybe NFT projects, anything like that? I like that answer, that one. Oh, I was going to say, Cucumber is going to have like, like he's going to be up to his, you know, neck in NFT projects at the moment. Um, I know that he he lives for them. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow I highly Um, doubt that. If you couldn't sense any sarcasm in my voice, then <laughs> obviously you, you you don't know humor either. Um, look, I, I to, to me, I, I really enjoy the NFT space. I mean, I was um, the one that was pushing to have kind of punk and mask uh, on the platform um, with Ruler, NFTX, and 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 NFT twenty. I think are, are two very interesting projects at the moment, tackling the AMM side of things for for NFTs and trying to, you know, basically unlock the, 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 the liquid tokens, I guess. Um, I don't know if it's going to work for all NFTs, obviously. I think it works for these collectible type of NFTs where there's a, like a floor price, I guess, of a, of a, of a common set. And then that, that you're kind of happy to kind of put into this, this protocol and get the tokens for, um, but where it comes to still kind of one-offs or, or very individual things, um, you know, I, I still don't know how that's going to be tackled to be perfectly honest. Uh, if anyone wants, I think it's just going to still be on the open market, like an open sea. Uh, outside of that, I mean, 
I guess I've just been so focused on um, ruler and cover of late that I haven't had a chance to really dig too deep into anything else that's that's gets completely outside of um, of those projects. Maybe another one that I've just been advising on, which is um, which is Wolves of Wall Street, which is the Wow's token. They're using ERC eleven fifty fives to um, kind of let you make these um, these NF these crypto folios. And, you know, you can put other LP tokens in there that are earning yield. And, you know, for them, um, you know, Uni V3 comes along at a perfect time where they can kind of, um, you can use these, um, these, these 1155s to, to kind of build these strategies within them. And, and, and they have a kind of a staking game as well that goes with it that helps you earn additional yield um, that's pulled into the, to the protocol. So they're really trying to game the finance side of it. And I, I think that'll... Um, that'll touch a spot over time with users that have both a capital mindset, but are also probably of the millennial millennial age group that are, you know, used to having nearly most things gamified in their life by now. So, yeah. Yeah. The gamification of finance is I think a big, going to be a big driver of DeFi because it does feel like a game where you're hunting for the best yields, you're, you know, trying to avoid rug pulls, you know, literally they have a score these days, the DGEN score, you know, so it's pretty, I I feel like I'm playing like a massive game of like, you know, Starcraft or something. Yeah. Like financial. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel that way as well. I mean, it's like you, you kind of build up your, your reputation, your skills, you mm. like join these like chat rooms, like and each of these, like kind of Twitter is like the main hub. Like that's the main market, but then there's all these offshoots or like you know, all these different discord channels, telegram chats or all these other actions happening. Yeah. I mean, like it's just the, the irony is not lost to me that the fact that nearly every, uh, well, every, every decent, um, protocol has a discord channel. If the, if you only have telegram, I'm sorry, but your aids to me, um, you need to have discord, but it's, it was, you know, it's for gaming, right? It's for gaming. It's gamers to coordinate. So I think it's really funny that it's like the, the, the chosen platform for DeFi to coordinate on outside of obviously Twitter being kind of the, the, the ultimate coordination tool for, 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 for crypto in general. I mean, I mean, without, yeah, with being blunt, but crypto would be proper fucked if Twitter just banned it. Mm. Do you think like so? For though? a period of time. I mean, for a period. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely for a period of time. I have, I've, ne- I haven't been in a space where I've connected so much on a social media platform. I mean, so I've been in other, um, you know, uh, roles where you know you're using social media like linkedin facebook um you know instagram you know all, you know, all, all the different kind of social medias to try and you know connect with people and, and network and i haven't found it so easy to to, to connect the network with anyone in any um, kind of industry related to crypto and on twitter Nothing compares. Yeah. 
I um, I absolutely agree with that. I, I always say that you know Twitter is crypto right now. I mean, that's where you get the information. That's where everything is happening. Um, so you have to, in order to know what's going on, like, I feel that you got to be pretty active. I mean, for some, know. yeah, I, look, I think the alpha really is, is that Twitter is kind of the breadcrumb, right? For where it is. Mm. You got to hunt though. Like that's the breadcrumb. Yeah. Yeah. The real, you got to get into the trenches. So, so discord, you know, that, that aids um, one telegram as well. If you want to get in there. But, you know, to me, Discord and just chatting to the projects and getting to know the guys that are, you know, or the team that are building it and kind of what their visions are, that's the best way to kind of follow the um, the Twitter breadcrumbs for Alpha. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you guys are pretty big dreamers. You have quite ambitious goals. I think that when Alan started, he wanted to, include tornado insurance like real world applications not only you know DeFi insurance um, and i think you have similar ambitions with ruler what what is the vision you know if ruler can be successful over the next five years or so like what products could you offer on the platform sure so um I definitely think the vision is also to integrate with real world assets, you know, to be able to do amortizing loans on uh, tokenized real world collateral. So cars, real estate, those types of things. And I mean, I think in order for DeFi to reach its potential, it has to bridge the gap between crypto native applications and, you know, real world finance. And so I, we hope that Ruler can be part of that. Fantastic. Fantastic. I um, can't wait to collateralize my Tesla and farm with the yield or maybe collateralize the yield and get a Tesla. Not sure, (laughs) but either way, I'm in. (laughs) Either way, I'm getting a sub truck. All right, guys. Um, I think that's pretty much it for today. How would you like the audience to? Oh, you cut out. Can there. you hear me again? You go there ahead. Go yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know when you lost me, but I definitely lost connection for a few minutes there or a few seconds. What were you saying? Something about Teslas? No, did, I mean, I was just answering that. Like the our, our long-term vision is to connect, you know, the real-world finance with DeFi. So. Um, to take tokenized, hopefully tokenized real world assets like cars and real estate, and then use that as collateral on ruler. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that would be really cool. It's just, what, what is the challenge? You know, what is the biggest challenge in doing something like that? Is it, is it pricing the... No, it's, re- it's regulatory. It's regulatory, mm. 100%. Mm, yeah. I see, I see. Well, boo, I don't like it. Cancel the government. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be a problem that we solve. Like, like just to tie that off, I don't, I don't think that's going to be a problem that we solve. What, what I envision is that we'll work with someone that solves that in their jurisdiction that'll be able to plug into what we do. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, yeah, you're not, you're not in the business of like hiring an attorney to. Well, no, I mean, that'd be like 
that'd be the equivalent of us trying to boil the ocean, right? You, you just can't do that. So, you know, it, we, we're trying to build the framework and the rails to allow that to happen. And, you know, hopefully some smart people in their own jurisdictions can see, um, you know, how this can benefit, you know, something that they, you know, how they can join that with us in DeFi and, um, you know, they can meet the regulatory guidelines from where they are. Yeah, yeah. Maybe take me cucumber. Maybe just you said broadly what the vision is, but maybe take me through something very specific. Like, let's say I wanted to buy a car. Like, what is the process that would happen for me to do that through Ruler? Like, bar forget regulatory issues, but like, what would happen as a user coming to the platform? So. I, I, I want to I use a different example, if that's all right, because a, a car is still a pretty small asset. So I think it's more likely that the collateral that would be put on ruler, especially at the beginning, um, and, and things like this could change as Ethereum scales more and more, but it would be a pool of car loans um, as opposed to a single car loan. So um, I, I think the use case that I thought about a lot is in commercial real estate, where you have a single large asset and you want to finance that large asset, right? So, so what you could do is you could have a pool of capital that goes and th the simplest version is where they buy the piece of real estate for cash and then they tokenize that piece of real estate and then they do a debt offering on Ruler where now they can mint both uh, the RC tokens and the RR tokens, right? And then they sell those RC tokens, which represent the loan uh, on, on the asset, on the collateral to the general market and the market prices it. And now they've done their debt raise, right? And now they can take that debt or that money that they borrowed and they can put it into another real estate asset. So um, th this is frequently done already. The only difference is typically the pool of capital um, will get the loan at the time of acquisition, right? So I think the first thing that will happen on Ruler is you take a free and clear property and then you do a debt raise on the free and clear property, kind of like a refinance. And then in the future, we can work out ways for the loan actually to be provided before the asset is purchased. And that, that's a little trickier to do because right now Ruler assumes that you already have the tokenized collateral existing, which would be possible if you already own the asset. But if you didn't already own the asset, you wouldn't have that yet. So it would have to be some sort of like promise. And we haven't really worked out those details yet, but in the short term, you could take um, a tokenized asset that you already own, and then you could post that as collateral and borrow against it on Ruler and kind of do like a refinance. And so I think that'll probably be the first thing that we do with, with a bigger asset like real estate. And then in the future, you can move to smaller assets or just pools of smaller assets, which I think will come even first. So, yeah. And do you think you could offer a better rate than a bank? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the reason is that we're going to have capital from, in the long run, we would have capital from all over the world, right? So when you have a, a U.S. asset, there, there will be a lot of lenders that are interested in that, if for no other reason than the upside to be able to take over the asset at a good price, right? If they do get to foreclose on the asset, if they if the if the borrower does default, then 
you know, people around the world that are interested in earning U.S. real estate would be potentially very interested in that. Mm, that's pretty interesting. But but but, it, but it's not just that. It's the, the biggest problem is not the rates in the current financial system. If you're able to get a loan right now in the U.S., you you can get a really fantastic rate. The problem is the access to that debt. The access to the debt is highly controlled and highly regulated. Um, when you apply for these commercial real estate loans, you have to provide a ton of documentation to the lender. The lender has a very long checklist of particulars that have to be met in order for them to even give you the loan. There are net worth requirements. There are liquidity requirements. There's all of these things that you have to meet, and it makes it very difficult. And I think this is, will help to democratize that process, right? The market will determine what the actual criteria need to be, not some arbitrary you know, regulatory body. And, and the reason these regulations exist right now is because most of the, or the reason that it's so onerous to get a loan right now is because most of the loans flow through some sort of government repurchase program like um, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, right? And those government agencies put all of these restrictions on the loans. So obviously DeFi will be frictionless and a lot more open. So there will be a lot more flexibility. So I think rates have the potential to be lower, but most importantly, it's just that things will be a lot more frictionless and, you know, it won't be as hard to get the loan in the first place. Also things like, go ahead. It's just, yeah, you're right. It's access to capital. It's just the, 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 the immediate access to capital. I I can see, I can envision a, a, a period in which, we get to a point where someone can come with a home that has say 20% or 30% LVR and be able to refinance that, you know, and it may be at a similar, if not slightly higher rate, but they may be trying to refinance today. And all of a sudden they're now outside of the scope of the ability to ref- to, 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 to borrow because of this change in circumstances um, in, in a DeFi environment, you know, th- there'll be someone that's willing to give them the funds to do it and do it at a very quick turnaround. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. How would you like the listeners to take action after listening to this conversation? Well, uh, I mean, start, start to use uh, our platform. I'd say with cover, hold off, wait, wait for our announcement for V2. I think um, there's going to be a lot of changes when that happens. I think it's going to be a much better product. So I'd say in the meantime, um, start to get familiar with ruler, you know, actually take out a loan or, or be a lender and um, yeah. And feel free to come to our, our discord and ask us any questions too. Yeah, and I think the I think the last thing that I'll say is on, yeah, V two for cover. Absolutely, I think we need to wait um, to use that to to get a better experience as a user. But with Ruler, as I was mentioning, you know, at the top of the the show, that you know, as a lender on Ruler, you want to be envisioning that I want to get a return on my die, or I want to, oh, I'm happy to have the asset at the price. And I I just think about you know, I come back to the mask and the and the and the punk token that you know this is perfect for a collector so if you're a collector i i, I you know i think this is a, a, pl- a platform that you're going to want to use um either to, to lend against and get liquidity for these uh, assets or better still to come and get returns on your idle us dollars with the chance to own the asset on forfeiture 
Yeah. I mean, I think I think I think our strike price for punk basic is like 10k. So I mean, I'd buy a punk at 10 grand right now. So I, I may actually be lending in there. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting use case for the protocol that I didn't think about that you're actually you want to buy something at a specific price. And basically, if it doesn't work out, you just earn some yield on your dollars. Yeah. It's like a win-win. Exactly. All right. Fantastic. If uh, you're not already, make sure that you follow Ruler on Twitter, Cover on Twitter, DeFi Ted on Twitter, and Crypto Cucumbers there too. He's not so active though. Correct? Nope. I'm not very active. (laughs) So you don't have to follow him. But DeFi Ted... Excellent follow on Twitter. He's got the good alpha. And um, I am very excited to see V2 on cover. And I'm enjoying using Ruler. One thing that is very, I don't know if this is underrated, but one thing that I'm enjoying about Ruler is that I don't have to worry about being liquidated on taking a loan, which is fantastic. I don't need to care about the price. Just come back a month later, pay it off, and I'm done. That's it. That's it. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's do it again soon. Thanks a lot, Gabriel. We will do. Have a good one. Yeah, thank you, Gabriel. Thank you.